spilling all sorts of tea about what's going on inside Washington, D.C., what regulators and lawmakers are thinking and working on, and what you and your credit union should be focused on in terms of risk areas and areas of opportunity. I'm your host, Ann Petros, also Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at NAFQ, and today I am joined by Carrie Hunt. Hello, Ann. <laughs> um, Carrie is President and CEO of the Virginia Credit Union League, and as many of you likely know, uh, formerly the head of government affairs at NAFQ mm -hmm. and an expert on advocacy, both at the federal and state level. And so we've got a lot to talk about. Thank you so much for joining me, Carrie. We do, Anne. And thank you for having me. It is uh, so exciting to be back. Although I have to say, since um, I left, these reading glasses are new, uh, which doesn't Ooh. excite me quite as much as uh, some other changes, <laughs> but uh, that that's okay. Well, <laughs> they look great on you, so... <laughs> Yeah, good choice. Um, all right. Well, well, let's dive in. What do you see as the biggest difference between advocating on the state level versus federal level, which you know you were used to doing for sure. for many years here at NAPQ? You know, uh, there are definitely a lot of differences, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go through a few of those. But I, if I had to pick one, the the biggest one is speed. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a few legislatures that are in session all year round, but the rest tend to have. Sh uh, short sessions. In Virginia, we have uh, one session that's 45 days. The next year, it's 60. So it's, that's a really short period of time to mm -hmm. actually pass or stop legislation. Now, work goes on throughout the year in terms of preparing for things and drafting bills, building coalitions. But that actual legislative period is really, really tight. Uh, so you have to be, you know, really, really, really quick with making sure you're on top of everything. So um, I would say that's, and that's pretty common in, in most legislatures mm -hmm. that we, we tend to have part-time legislatures in our country. So I would say speed. But, you know, when you look at uh, state advocacy, it, it really covers a really broad swath because, of course, politics start at the local level, whether it's the school board, you know, going way, way, you know, down into the weeds up uh, to, of course, the, the governors of, of states. And what is so impactful about state advocacy is you really are making those connections, uh, those personal connections with, with policymakers, and you are so close to demonstrating, you know, what for instance, and of course, for us credit unions do, and as it impacts communities, mm -hmm. those examples, seeing those things firsthand, um, really are, are quite impactful. And so you you that's a benefit, but also you have to be cognizant that uh, things are taken more personally too, because oh, sure. you know because they are. So uh, you know, I could. Uh, you know, I'm sure as we we talk a little more, we'll we'll go through some of those differences and. But it really is that local connection, having to be on top of everything, and also the knowledge that everything that happens at the state level ultimately trickles up to the federal level in one way or the other. So there's mm -hmm. this push-pull uh, that you have to be cognizant of. Yeah. I can imagine that 
uh, that local connection is a, a bit of a double-edged sword. So yeah. that you know, makes it, sense. I, it, it can be. I will say I, I very much enjoyed it. I, I love to see how we can be impactful in communities. Um, but it is different. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give you one example. Last Friday, we were um, delivering a campaign contribution to Barbara Favola, and her campaign, uh, you know, quote unquote, office is her house. You know, she she's a state senator here in Virginia. So, uh, you know, I went I went and delivered the check, and we had a nice conversation. But we're sitting at her dining room table in her house, so <laughs> that's a big difference between going up uh, and having a meeting yeah. with the dome in the distance and the marble halls and. Right. Um, you know, you, you tend to have a, a bit more intimate conversations. So, yeah. Uh, but it's Which fun. is a good thing. It yeah. is a good thing. It is. I'll find, I actually find too, when we meet with our congressional delegation actually back in the district, um, they also, I think, tend to be a bit more relaxed and mm-hmm. uh, you can have a, a different conversation, I think. Um, both are important, right? There's also something to be said for the gravitas of Capitol Hill. Um, but you tend to be able to have a little bit more time to to breathe and get deeper into some of the issues. Whereas, as you know, when you're in those office buildings, you're being rushed in and out because there <laughs> yeah. there are about eight hundred other meetings behind. Exactly. You. Yeah, you're not yeah. the only one waiting to have a conversation. Well, Definitely. yeah, I mean, it sounds like those you know that opportunity to have a more personal and potentially more candid conversation mm-hmm. is uh, refreshing. So, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, what are some of the key issues that are top of mind for state regulators and lawmakers? You know, there's a lot uh, that's going on right now. And I think in part when you have a congressional um, environment where there's a lot of gridlock, and we've experienced that for mm-hmm. you know quite some time now, you tend to – issues tend to percolate more on the state side because they can actually see the light of day. Uh, we've seen movement relative to state interchange bills. There's been a a push to potentially exempt uh, tax taxes, you know, sales tax from mm-hmm. uh, interchange revenue. And uh, we had that last session in Virginia. We had uh, Delegate Reed who was contemplating introducing that, and we were able to have a conversation um, to to try to prevent that. But that same conversation is happening in other states. Florida just experienced that, and um, they were able to uh, push back on on that legislation. So I, I think that um, that's definitely one. Uh, another one is earned wage access, and this mm. is something that really has started to percolate in, in the past year or two. There are these earned wage access providers, which um, may or may not be consumer uh, friendly, and, and it's there's a lot of a big policy debate as to whether or not these providers are really uh, just a different type of of payday lender. Are there fees that are pulling people into debt traps and um, so that's a, a big issue as well. I will say ESG bills that oh, yeah. is are is popping up and flying through the country. And mm-hmm. I think ESG is a really great example of really how I, I think state law issues work. Because uh, when I first started my role two years ago, ESG was really just starting to enter into our lexicon and. I had a conversation with uh, one of my league president peers out in in Utah, and 
it was already hot out there, but hadn't made its way to Virginia yet. Well, lo and behold, you know, fast forward 18 months, I'm sitting there having a conversation with uh, one of our state delegates in Virginia who was contemplating introducing anti-ESG legislation. And with ESG, if you look across the country, uh, in states that are red, they typically introduce anti-ESG legislation. In our states that are blue, it tends to be um, pro-ESG legislation. Mm -hmm. And to date, um, most of the states that have actually passed ESG legislation has been anti-ESG. Um, in Virginia, we would love the status quo. Uh, we don't necessarily want the legislator to jump in one way or the other. Um, but it was fantastic that we have um, this connection with all of our credit unions and the whole um, league system across our country because when issues start to percolate in other states, then it puts us on notice that we could see this proliferation and then right. we're prepared to try to stop it. So mm -hmm. um, that was that's definitely another one as well. And uh, I'll say if I had to pick a last like number four, I would say pace lending um, bills have been mm. popping up a lot. And interesting, the CFPB I, I, just issued a mm -hmm. rule on that. Um, so I, I think there's some more state law issues connected to pace. So we'll see if. Mm -hmm if some of those um, issues come up as well. Interesting, um, yeah. But, but yeah, but I, but in it, I mean, but I could name a bazillion other laws, right? There's, how do we, do we need to change the UCC? Do we mm -hmm. um, look at, there's just a whole host of things that, that mm -hmm. we have to sort of track. And um, for us in Virginia last year, a lot of our time was spent on defense and making sure that some well-intentioned bills didn't impact credit unions, but, um, so it's it's definitely it's fast and furious and a lot of different balls in the air, but that's but that's okay. Yeah, um, one topic that came up um, recently was uh, community reinvestment mm -hmm. act, and obviously that's on the state level. Have you been seeing a lot of movement there? I mean, there aren't a lot of states mm -hmm. that that require credit unions to to engage in CRA. There hasn't been tons of movement relative to standalone bills. Um, mm -hmm. there, there certainly have been some introduced, but what we're starting to see is CRA being used as a poison pill attached mm -hmm. to other pieces of legislation. And that is, is obviously problematic. Uh, so, uh, that's frustrating. I don't want to call it our enemies, but <laughs> those who are not, uh, Let's friends see, our, our friends of the credit movement. union movement, yes, uh, are, are very, uh, are getting smarter as to how they go about these Ooh, things. And that is creative. A lot of roadblocks are being put up um, all across the board. So yeah. um, we have yet to see one in Virginia, but, mm -hmm. you know, ne never say never. Yeah. Well, um, several states, including Virginia, have data privacy laws mm -hmm. on the books, and a lot of other states are considering similar yep. bills. I mean, obviously, we've got California mm -hmm. with a very robust data mm -hmm. privacy uh, framework, but not all of those laws or proposed bills do include financial institutions. Some have mm -hmm. exemptions for um, you know those that are already subject to the requirements of the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act. So could you provide just a really brief rundown of those data privacy laws and legislation mm -hmm. across the country? Now, I don't sure. expect you to get I to know. all, wait, all wait. of the states. I'm, I'm putting my reading glasses on because I, I did I did Maybe the to, top uh, states yeah, where we should be really concerned about. And you know, what do you think are the next steps on the federal level? Because I think that's really the, the big question yeah. for, for people. 
All right. So these are the states that have that have privacy laws enacted. So of course California. Yeah. Uh, and Virginia. And I'll I'll use those two. So California is the the most consumer friendly. That was the first one, and and everyone looked at that, and it certainly raised some concerns just in terms of the business side. Mm -hmm. Virginia passed a a version several years ago, and Virginia's law was the first one that exempted. Gramm-Leach institutions that comply with Gramm-Leach-Bliley from privacy laws. So that's mm -hmm. what we have in Virginia. Now, um, most of the states that subsequently have um, implemented laws follow the Virginia model and have some level of Gramm-Leach-Bliley. But I will say these laws do differ from degree to degree. But Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Iowa, Montana, Tennessee, Utah, in addition to Virginia and, and um, California, have privacy laws in place. And these were bills that are, are still active, Delaware, Louisiana, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island. And then we have bills that have been filed but are inactive. And I'll say Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, Minnesota, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Vermont, Washington, West Virginia. And so as you can see- Yeah, wow. Are there any states that aren't <laughs> considering data privacy? Very few. Um, very few. But And we're, we're, we're laughing about it, but you know, yeah. this is why- we need to have a federal standard in place. Yes. Um, now, relative to, to that, a, a new wrinkle has come up this past year in that the, um, the National Association of, of Insurance uh, Commissioners has a group which is working on model privacy legislation. Mm -hmm. And recent drafts of that, or original drafts, had... Uh, we're not in favor of having this Gramm-Leach-Bliley exemption. In particular, it also shifted from an opt-in, I mean, opt-out to an opt-in. So in short, if this model that um, these insurance commissioners would like gets passed across the country, it could potentially be, be problematic. So I think the sooner we have a national model in place that, of course, for us includes exemptions for regulated financial mm -hmm. institutions, uh, then the better. It's the question that is, can, can we get there um, fast enough? I will say the more states that pass a more business-friendly model like Virginia has, I think there's certainly a bigger push and more pressure on the federal side to, to enact something similar. Um, but of course, as you know, it all depends on what our composition looks up at the federal level. Right, and right. Who, who sits in those seats. Um, the, the biggest nightmare, of course, would be to have a federal standard that doesn't preempt state standards and you have various state standards all across the board. And be entirely um, that, unhelpful. That would, yes, that would be the absolute worst thing. So yeah. we, we certainly will try to avoid that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll go so far as to say at all costs, we'll, we'll try to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. And there yeah. have been some bills introduced that are you know, floating out there, but just have not been able to, to make headway, really. I mean, obviously, especially mm -hmm. recently, there have been other priorities um, on the federal level. Oh. But uh, it seems like this is definitely an issue that's not going away anytime yeah. soon and, and needs to be addressed. I'll mention, too, on the state side, it you know, legislative sessions, even though typically tend to are shorter, they also don't all start at the same time. So as we speak, you know, some legislatures are still working on issues. So it, it's always a, a rolling uh, kind of look right. as to what, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, turning to the litigation mm -hmm. side of things, which I mean, I guess that also can can play a role yeah. in, in the data privacy discussion. Um, what 
trends are you monitoring at the state level? And do you think that any of these trends will, you know, work their way up through the federal court system? Yeah. I would say the number one trend that we follow is really is litigation relative to employment and employer issues. And that may surprise some of some of the listeners, but for credit unions who are, of course, are corporations, mm-hmm. um, even those who are federally chartered, you know, have to comply with certain laws in the state that they're headquartered. So uh, that is certainly top of mind for me in looking at how a lot of trends in employment law impact um, credit unions, because it, of course, every credit union has lots of employees and and they have to manage the business side. Uh, we're seeing trends, uh, of course, relative to uh, employer employee issues with um, you know strikes. We've we saw that just with True Stage uh, this past um, you know couple of weeks, and that's not litigation per se, but sometimes things you know delve into that arena. Um, we're seeing issues still coming out of COVID uh, relative to disability. Mm-hmm. We are seeing potential issues relative to pay with you know stay at home situations versus coming into the office. Right. Whether there's discrimination there, um, there are all sorts of those issues. So if I had to pick the top, it's actually um, all all across the country those, those types of issues. And looking at a few other things, uh, we, we're actually seeing some uh, litigation relative to ESG as well. So that's okay. starting mm-hmm. to, to percolate. Uh, we are also starting to see um, a lot of litigation relative to cybersecurity, whether mm-hmm. uh, you know, st- states have different laws relative to notification for breaches or notices right. ver- for various things. So we're seeing that um, on the state law side as well. And I think all of those issues have the potential to to percolate up. Um, so we definitely track things as well. I will say too, at the state level, we of course want to make sure we have a great relationship with our attorney generals, who mm-hmm. are, are the ones who also look to um, enforce consumer laws. And I think that's another really big area. We don't just have the CFPB. We have the states who have a huge focus on the consumer side as well. So we always want to make sure we're seeing what the attorney generals are, are doing versus not in terms of trends all across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we could talk for three hours, Anne, but we're not going to. I mean, there's, there's plenty to (laughs) to unpack there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, all the, the cybersecurity, issues, um, you know, data breach class actions continue to come up. Um, and I don't think that will change anytime soon. And yeah, it definitely is, you know, an issue that relates to the federal level. I mean, you know, NAFQ's been calling for, uh, you know, a, a national standard for data security that keeps merchants accountable as well. I mean, do you see any, prospect of something like that coming coming to fruition anytime soon? At the federal level or or you mean in terms of impact at, at the states and I you I know guess, I guess both. I think define anytime soon and because <laughs> I I feel like I'm gonna need three pairs of reading glasses before we get to uh we, we get to that one. I, I will say that's actually a great segue to talk about fraud because um, one of the biggest challenges that credit unions are facing right now is just the dramatic increase in fraud. 
and how do you combat fraud? What are those what does that legal regime look like? What do best practices look like? How do you cover those costs with we haven't even really delved into the whole big attack on interchange at the federal level mm-hmm. um, is is huge and t- and top of mind. And for me, this is another area where I think the states have the potential to to act, but I don't want to get in a situation like data privacy again where we have right. All of these this patchwork, so that's why it's so important to have this federal data security uh, standard. And in Virginia, uh, Senator Warner is is been a huge advocate for you know cybersecurity and, and data security. Uh, but we haven't gotten to a point where you know we're we're passing legislation. So mm-hmm. I, it's a huge priority, I think, for for everyone, including um, at the state level. But a lot of work to be done still. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I guess, too surprised to, to hear that. <laughs> um, are there any areas now kind of shifting to mm-hmm. the federal side of things that, you know, the NCUA should be looking at in terms of its regulations and modernizing those regulations to better align with some of the state regulations that mm-hmm. impact credit unions? You know, I think that's a hard question to answer because we really do have quite a difference in state charters all, all across our country. Mm-hmm. In Virginia, we only have 20 state charters left um, compared in overall, and there are 105 credit unions in Virginia. So, of course, that means the rest are, are federally chartered. I will say there are still some things that I think are more flexible at the state level. And one of those, though, we're already attacking and addressing, and that's board modernization mm-hmm. uh, in, in Virginia state charter credit unions are allowed to have fewer than, you know, 12 board meetings a year. It's pretty flexible relative to just getting their their bylaws approved. And we would love to, of course, see that that happen at the federal level. As you know, we had a lot of traction in the last Congress, and hopefully we can uh, get that across the finish line uh, this time around. Uh, also, I do think the NCUA has done a, a good job in recent years in, in trying to be more flexible. The biggest question is, does there still need to be flexibility on field of membership? And of course, NCUA right. just had an open uh, rulemaking on that. And uh, relative to one uh, charter change, I believe uh, Andrew Morris just testified uh, specifically right. on that. Mm-hmm. So congratulations on on you know pushing for for that. So I, I think that's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. At the the state side, though, you, you typically have bankers who do a really great job at pushing back on individual credit union fields of membership. So it, it's a slog. It's a fight yeah, it's down, down to the mm-hmm. death in, in a mm-hmm. lot of situations. So certainly, I think the, the stronger and more flexible regulatory standards we have uh, and can point to, it, it's always helpful um, in regards to that. So- but, you know, there's some state charters which are a lot more flexible than the NCUA on, on the field of membership. Others are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really just depends. Yeah. It just depends. Yeah. I mean, of course, we've got, you know, a lot of states to think yeah. about, a lot of different regimes and rules that, that come into play, and, and they're not going to be consistent across the you board. You know, I did forget one more, though, uh, digital assets. So mm-hmm. the NCUA uh, has a opinion that 
credit unions can, you know, custody and hold digital assets through third parties. Last year in Virginia, for state chartered credit unions, uh, there's a we have there's a separate now code section relative to that that they can actually custody uh, themselves under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an example where I think potentially states may be a little bit more flexible in the federal level. Uh, but you know, we'll see what the future holds relative to crypto. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't think of, some uh, of the recent bank failures are helpful for that discussion. No, no, definitely not. And there's uh, there are lawsuits and there's a lot of, I guess you could say turmoil in, I would in, say so. in that area. So <laughs> a lot of unanswered questions yeah. um, and more to come, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that that is another area where, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to see a reversion. Mm-hmm. Um, digital assets are, are here to stay in one form or another. Yep. And so we just have to figure out how to incorporate them into our existing you know, financial mm-hmm. um, regulatory uh, structure and, and work with them um, because consumers will, will want them and need them and, and continue to use them. So we've got to have some sort of uh, rules and, and structure and supervisory mechanism yeah. in place whatever that may look like. I don't have all the answers. (laughs) Come on in. (laughs) Um, All right. So last question, kind of overarching, and we've talked about a lot of topics so far, but, you know, what were you, what would you say are the top um, federal regulatory and legislative priorities for your members? I know you mentioned interchange. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that's at the top of the list. Interchange is definitely at the top of the list. Uh, Clearly, uh, yesterday, just yesterday, you know, we had the reintroduction of inter- legis- interchange legislation at the federal level, which, of course, uh, credit unions will continue to oppose. Uh, so I think that's going to certainly be top of mind and, and take up a lot of bandwidth over the next couple of, of months. Um, and, you know, we'll see where we end up with that. Uh, it really is important to have grassroots relative to interchange because mm-hmm. uh, of the fact that these businesses are in individual congressional districts and, and they're the ones that are that are pushing for change. So I think this is a prime example as to how um, KUNA, NAFQ, the entire uh, league system can be effective in working together and, and really trying to combat this. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's going to be a lot of work in the next couple of, of months. And I know that there'll be a, need to be a lot of resources put to this as well, whether it's ads, whether it's uh, you know, individual, you know, cam- specific campaigns. Um, so uh, a lot of work to be done there. But I know that um, the the trades and credit unions are up to the task. So I, I would definitely say that that is uh, number one. The CFPB has continued uh, looking at fees. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it is trying to get through uh, just some of the discussion and dialogue and kind of get to the core of the, the issue is is always challenging. Um, credit unions being sucked into regulations for things they didn't do is, is very frustrating. So I think the credit unions have great stories to tell. I think credit unions have done a great job and continue to do a great job in trying to create products and services that their members need and want at an affordable cost. Um, so I think we just need to con- continue to keep the drum beat up so the CFPB truly understands the credit union difference. Um, but that is, uh, of course, hugely important um, to our to our members as well. Uh, and we already talked about data security and, and fraud prevention. And mm-hmm. 
I, I, every day I, I hear a different instance of of not a, a necessarily credit union struggle, but a story of a credit union member coming in after they've already been swindled and mm-hmm. um, the, the credit union, you know, being unable to help them. And that's just heartbreaking and um, pretty, it's, it's a big challenge too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I know the, the CFPB has some thoughts on that issue as yes. well. And, um, you know, lawmakers do, of course, um, in addition to the CFPB, but, uh, you know, I don't think there's an easy fix mm-hmm. yeah. to that issue. Um, I did think it was positive that the CFPB mm-hmm. flagged that there are you know, lots of uninsured deposits and that was um, helpful in, in some of these, mm-hmm. you know, platforms, P2P platforms. So recognizing that insured financial institutions, including credit unions, are our better choice, um, I thought was an interesting approach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, any any other remarks or um, things that you want to share with our listeners and viewers? You know, I, I will just close on just, you know, I think we have a fantastic uh, federal and state system in our country. Uh, it plays off of each other, both the federal charter and the state charter, the federal legislature and regulators and the state of legislature and regulators. And together with that sort of push-pull, we we end up, I think, um, having great opportunities um, mm-hmm. to make change for, for credit unions. And we also have great opportunities to, to learn from each other and achieve success. So um, I know that we ask a lot from our credit unions in terms of their participation, um, getting involved in advocacy, but in the seat I sit in now more than ever, I see how effective it can be. Um, and I, I know that working together, we can achieve change. So that uh, keeps me going every day. And um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great things ahead for the credit union industry. Excellent. Well, I'm feeling motivated too. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yes, it is super important to stay engaged and and coordinate with your um, leagues and trade associations and um, share your stories because those are the stories that really are going to make the difference when we have conversations with regulators and, and lawmakers um, and can actually move the needle. Yes. So. Yeah, it's important. Well, thank you, Carrie. And thank you to our listeners and viewers for tuning in to this excellent discussion with Miss Carrie Hunt. Um, If you enjoy watching or listening to The Cup, please hit subscribe or the like button, turn on your notifications to get alerts about new episodes, and leave us a review. Let us know what you'd like to hear about in an upcoming episode. And we um, are always happy to to have exciting conversations with, with guests like Carrie about all things Uh, credit union. So uh, until next time.